Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1233 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Hope you're having a solid Thursday. Kind of took a little bit of, of detour on today's edition of Oilers Now. We will get to some of the sort of more formatic NHL, NHLPA stuff coming up a little bit later on with Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack. But at this time, we are going to be joined by our Oilers Now headliner for touchback safety. Stay safe on the job while saving time and money with the all-new blended learning courses from Touchback Safety. Discover your safety training solutions today at touchbacksafety.com. And we welcome back to the show from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Louis DeBrusque. Hi, Louis. How you doing? I'm doing well today, Bob. How are you doing? Good. We've gone down a Kevin uh, Quinn path here. Talking a bit about F1, I, fi- I finally watched Senna. I know you've had lots of discussions. Like we should, we should explain to the listeners here. We'll be, we'll be sitting on the plane. I'll have the computer up, uh, and, you know, paying for the Air Canada uh, internet access so I can follow what's going on in the NHL and college football, that sort of stuff. And Kevin Quinn will have F1 magazines that he's reading as he's, uh, and then after he's done his prep for the game. I mean, he has an incredible passion for it, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. He's he's always been a big uh, racing fan, just a car fan in general. Likes to, he's a little bit of a grease monkey. Likes to get in that garage and. Uh, work on his old jeep you know he's uh you know he's one of those guys that just uh you know loves it it's what he loves to do in his free time and uh you know what i've only dragged him to a couple of movies over the years and the one that uh we went to last year was that ford versus ferrari and it was a fantastic movie he, he actually said you have to come and see this the fact that it was a true story um i thought they did an amazing job i'm not a, a huge car guy but um i really really enjoyed that movie i was glued to the screen for the entire movie you know, uh, it's interesting. I, I saw the, the Senate documentary, and they have the onboard cameras on that. And when you realize what the driver is seeing at the speed, because you take, I, I don't know, maybe I just took it for granted. And I'll be the first to admit, when I used to work in another industry in my past life, uh, and I always got a brand new truck because I couldn't fix anything i'm the least mechanically coordinated guy there is but so i got the new truck like i couldn't you know they couldn't afford to have me not like you know i had 15 guys i had to get out the, to the box every day um but i had a lead foot like i thought i was you know i drove pretty fast on the on the highway and on logging roads and that sort of thing but when you watch those onboard cameras louis of how fast those guys are moving at F1 well, and the it's reaction. It's, it, is it not unbelievable or what? It's, it's ridiculous. And there's some great videos on YouTube that you can, you can watch that and just to see a comparison of the different cars and how fast they're going around that track. Uh, I, you know, those F1, any racers for that matter, but especially the ones that are going that fast and making that quick of turns on a regular basis, um, they're extreme athletes. They're incredible athletes. To be able to keep their composure mentally and physically under all that stress, the G-force that must happen in those cars, I mean, 
It is amazing when you really break it down and look at it, you can see why people love it so much because it's one of those things that only a few people have the ability to do on this planet, to race that fast and that efficiently. And uh, that's why they're the best in the world, and that's why they're stars. You know what? There's a, we feel the need for speed. You know what? People love speed. They do. Like I watch, yeah. I watch NFL highlights, and I always end up going back to watching Bo Jackson because that guy was big and he was fast. You know what I'm saying? Like six foot one, two hundred and twenty-seven, two hundred and twenty-eight pounds, and he ran the you know unofficially the fastest forty of all time. You love it. You watch Connor McDavid. What makes Connor McDavid yeah. such a people love speed that comes with the territory? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's been since the dawn of time. You know who's the fastest? You know in any respective sport, any respective walk, it's it, that's always a question. What's the fastest car? Who's the fastest runner? What's the fastest boat? You know what's the fastest motorcycle? Can we break the sound barrier? Can we do this? I mean, it's it's been a you know goal for time to try and always elevate that and beat your last score and. Um, yeah, we're drawn to it. No question about that. When you see somebody that's skating as fast as Connor McDavid skates, when you see somebody driving as fast as the Formula One, NASCAR, you know, these cars that are speeding around the track um, in not always the greatest conditions uh, is just incredible to me. I think it's it's crazy, but I like to watch it. I, I don't mind sitting and watching it for a bit. I don't know a lot about it, but I'm intrigued by that because I know um, how difficult it must be to control that car. Even, you know, Louis, even when I, I used to be a spotter, you know, John Sexsmith from Global, and I used to be a spotter for John in the, with the Eskimos uh, games back in the 90s when they were still called the Eskimos. And I, I, I remember the, the fastest guy I thought I ever saw in the CFL was Tameric Vanover who ended up being a, a pretty good return man for the Kansas City Chiefs. But he was playing for the Las Vegas Posse. The es- Edmonton was up like, I don't know, like 49 or 50 to nothing. And he returned to kickoff, and nobody got within about six yards of him on the field. Like, he broke it right up the middle, and nobody could close the gap because he was – I remember talking to Blake Blake, <laughs> Blake, Blake Durbin about it afterwards, and he was like, Bob, he ran by our bitch. And we looked at each other, and we're like, that's the fastest guy we've ever seen play football. So I'm going to throw this back to you. During your playing days, did you ever fear being on the ice with a guy like Pavel Bure, who was lightning fast in the 1990s? Yeah, he really was. He was incredibly fast. Mike Madonna was really fast too, and he was incredibly fast with the puck. You know, it was uh, you know especially at that old Reunion Arena there in Dallas, watching that puck bounce around like a you know like a ball on the ice because the ice wasn't that great in there. But he was able to control it. And that was the thing that probably impressed me more than his speed was the fact that he can control that bouncing puck up on edge and his wrister from just inside the blue line was a rocket. And he would let it go on the fly. That's Mike Madonna. But, yeah, there were some really fast guys. There's, no, there's always been fast guys in the league. But I think, you know, what really separates the elite, like we're talking about Connor McDavid here, is that he's faster than everybody, noticeably faster than everybody in a really fast league. And that's what makes it so extreme. Um, but he also pushes other people to be better. He's pushing other people to be faster all the time. So just by him setting that standard, you've already seen in some of the all-star, um, you know, skills competitions where guys have started to elevate their game. And that just naturally happens. He has set a bar that people now have to try and achieve. And people will grind away to get to that bar. I'm not saying anybody will ever do it, but they're getting pretty close. And that's that just, to me, raises the whole level of the entire league, which is incredible. But, uh, yeah, to do it in a, in a league where it's the fastest league in the world already and to be the fastest player in that league, that's pretty special. Louis, you're down at ice level for what percentage of the games right now? 80%, 90%? Oh, I would say 
that, yeah, in a typical year. Obviously not right now. We're not sure what's going to happen moving forward. But um, in a typical year, yeah, I'd be down there for over half the games anyway. All right. Uh, the game against Toronto, because right right now, whenever they show the return, the potential of a return to play, NHL, NHLPA, working yeah. on things, we're going to have an all-Canadian. It doesn't matter if it's Sportsnet or TSN. The yeah. goal they're showing, because, you know, hey, it's Canada. They're going to be showing McDavid against the uh, Maple Leafs. Were you, were you upstairs or were you down at ice level for that one? I was in between the benches. Um, yeah, it was... Uh... You know, it was an incredible game, actually. It was one of those games where there's a lot of hype because they don't see each other that often, two, two tremendous players in the league. And it was, you know, Matthews versus McDavid. They're friends. They know each other. They're competitive, though. Each team, respectively, really wanted to win, obviously. And there just seemed to be a little extra bite to that game, a little extra emotion in the building, which is fantastic. That's what you want. And I do believe this Canadian division, if it does come to fruition, which it looks like it's going to, um, you know what? It's... Uh, It'll just make it that much more exciting each and every one of those matchups, in my opinion. I, you know, I look back to when I first started playing pro hockey in the American Hockey League. We had 15 teams down there. Um, there was 10 teams in the IHL, too, don't get me wrong. But in the AHL, there was 15 teams, and we played the same team a lot. You know, if it wasn't Fredericton, Moncton, Halifax, St. John's, you know, it, and those became battle royals because you were playing two and twos. I mean, there was even situations three and threes. Um, but it was double-digit encounters with those respective teams. So it built up a healthy dose of animosity and compete because you just kind of got sick of seeing certain people. And if it was a team that had your number, every single time you went in there, you were trying to elevate and say, okay, enough is enough. Let's stop the bleeding here. But um, you know what? Um, I'm, I think that'll be exciting. I think it'll be awesome. But in that game, I, I remember that clear as day. Uh, Matthew scored a beautiful goal too, but the goal that Connor scored, I just, you know, he's always kind of, there's been a lot of pressure, I think, on Connor going back to Toronto, you know, yep. his hometown, you know, a team that he watched growing up. And I mean, he, you know, he's got a lot of family and friends that are always there. He's interacting with people, seeing his old friends, and there's just a lot of distractions that you don't typically get in a regular um, game at home, so to speak. Um, but for him, and I remember it was special for me. I'm an Ontario, Ontario kid. When I went back home to Ontario, um, it was special. It was special to go back there and play um, where you grew up. Um, to, for him to score that big goal was very meaningful to him, I think. He, you could see the, the celebration afterwards. But I just like the fact that he kind of – it was almost like he, he looked back like, yeah, I'm going to wait for someone. And then he just said, yeah, I'm just not going to wait. <laughs> just going to go. And it was that zero to 100, you know, that quick transition from almost a standstill, really – which he's never really standing still, but not going very fast to explode into his high speed. He walked around a pretty darn good defenseman, Morgan Riley, in my opinion. I, I think Morgan Riley had a terrific game that game, too. I thought he was all over it. He was a lot of times going head-to-head with Connor, yep. and he did a pretty good job throughout that game, but that was the one one position where it was like, you know what, he wasn't going to be denied on that move. And to make that move in tight like he did, that's a special goal. It's a great goal. I think that uh, Morgan Riley's probably only seen that goal 237,463 yeah. times. And, yeah, you know, and the first time they pl- the first time they played, like he went after McDavid after the goal because they stayed on yep. the ice. Yep. The yep. first the first time they play this year, he's going to whack him with the stick. You know that's coming. Oh, yeah. He's going to chop know, him acro- across the wrist. 
it's not like he hasn't received that before from teams and players that he's he's made look he's embarrassed everybody really when you look at it it's that's the most incredible thing is he does it to established defensemen that have been in the league for a long time we saw him a couple of years ago might have been last year or two years ago run, walk around Ryan Suter the same way um, now Ryan Suter's never been known to be the fastest guy in the world but he has such good angles and he's so good at anticipating that's which allowed him to make 30 minutes look like he plays it with ease every night that he plays but Connor's one of those players that'll look at any type of a situation where he can exploit you and he recognized that Suter was in a bad position probably looking for a change late in the shift Connor extended the shift and he blew right by him like it was you know that's the thing is that you think you've done a great job defending against them for 95 percent of the shift but he has that little extra gear and gas tank where if he really wants to ratchet it up for another chance at the net and you're fatigued in any way it's uh it's not usually going to be a good outcome for you if he challenges you but uh, yeah we know we, we we take it for granted we get to watch him every single day we get to see him at close range and watch it but uh, i do believe that um i don't believe i know he's made the league faster he's made the league faster just because he's so fast and what he's done there's been players that have gone and changed their training tried to emulate that try and achieve greater speeds themselves and if everybody's doing that it's just a great outcome for the league because it's going to be faster and more skilled louis DeBras joining us from nhl hockey and rogers bob stoffer with you on orders now brendan escott back at the 630 chad studios i can always tell louis when a media guy didn't necessarily uh play it at, at, at a, a relatively competitive level growing up because they don't appreciate the speed and so when you're a slug like i was and you you know you played against a guy like manny viveros who today would have been playing 15 years in the nhl i mean he averaged 100 points a year three years in a row and major junior and was the major junior player of the year in 1985 you realize how fast guys were I, I, there was a guy named Stacy Wakabashi at the U of A today, uh, back in the 1980s. You know, he he was not an NHL caliber type of. Pro- there was only 21 teams back then, but not an NHL caliber type of player. The, the players on Brandon used to call Stacy Stacy walking right past me because he was so fast. Did you have like? I mean, you mentioned were, were there times you were like, you maybe misjudged somebody's speed on the ice, and but maybe it wasn't a guy you knew. I mean, you knew Madano, you knew Burray, yeah. but were there a or even in even in the American Hockey League, like were there a couple dynamic flyers in that league that you're maybe surprised didn't elevate to the next level? Yeah, you know, there, I play with a lot of guys like that, Bob. And it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I know the game has changed immensely over the years. And when I came up, it was the rough and tumble league. The bigger you were, the better. If you were a smaller statured player, you had to be exceptional. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that you always have to be exceptional to make it to the NHL, but they had to do even more. You know, they had to really defy a lot of odds, and I could never understand that. It was always a big big question mark in my head, and I remember having discussions with my dad about it and friends. I played with some amazing hockey players, and in today's era, with the way the game's changed to speed and skill, it's a little more tailored to players that aren't as big but are extremely skilled and competitive and fast can play at that level that's why we're seeing a lot more smaller players getting great opportunities to play because they're they're awesome hockey players and they're just great but you know back in the day let's face it it was a clutchy grab sticky kind of game and the bigger you were the more successfully you could do that you know that was just it was just human nature a bigger guy could grab a smaller guy it took literally hauling a guy down, grabbing him by the shoulder and pulling him to the ice to take a penalty on the guy. That's how hard it was to draw a penalty when 
especially later in the season when the playoffs came around, you could get away with a lot. You know, I was just watching a, a classic game, the Oilers versus Dallas in 97, when Todd Marchant scored the overtime winner. I was sitting, I was standing by the glass. I was a healthy scratch for that game seven, but I played the first six games of that series. And, you know, I, I started watching, and I was laughing. I just watched another game the other day, It was, and Rob Brown was playing for the, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, sorry, the Chicago Blackhawks. And, I mean, on the one shift, he could have taken five penalties, six penalties. He came back and literally two-handed a guy on a wide-open net, hooked, slashed, grabbed. Um, but they just didn't call anything. So I, I just think that, in today's day and age, there's more of an opportunity for those types of players to get the look-see they need, get the opportunity, and make good on it. And uh, I play with a ton of guys like that that just I just think got overlooked because they weren't big enough players. Now, on the flip side of it, a guy that really surprised me, and shouldn't have really, but he's a Hall of Famer, but was Phil Housley. You know, Phil Housley of all guys, and I think I've told you this story before. The first time I went in to try and lay a big hit on Phil Housley, I mean, he left my jock strap in the 15th row, you know, in the corner. It was ridiculous how far he was away from me when I finally turned around and to look where he was. He just did a quick little button hook and his five strides. He must have been 25, 30 feet away from me. That's my guy with the puck going up the ice on a five-on-four. And uh, I was 30 feet behind him, and it was pretty embarrassing. So I learned a real good lesson. It's not always taking that big run, especially at the skilled players. They've got eyes in the back of their head. They know you're coming. And if they can, they'll use that momentum against you. And it was, it was a real learning curve for me because I didn't expect him to be that fast as a defenseman, and he was an outstanding skater. Louis, uh, I don't think you played in this game. I'm trying to think of where you were. You were definitely with the team. On this date, and I, I know I tweeted it out earlier today, it was the first time in Oilers history this ever happened. December 10th, 1996, Edmonton was at Joe Louis Arena to play the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings won the Stanley Cup that year, 96-97. Curtis Joseph, your former teammate, made 52 saves. The Oilers were outshot 52-21. to uh, I've just pulled up the roster right now. You were not in the lineup for that game. Uh <laughs> they didn't play against it. Let, let me put my surprise face on right now. So, uh, but anyhow, bottom line, uh, Curtis, he could, I mean, he, the only, uh, that was the first 0-0 end result of a game in Oilers NHL history in Detroit. The shots were 52-21 for the Red Wings. Uh, Curtis actually has the only two 0-0 results in Oilers team history. Did it again in 97. Yeah. Uh, he could, man, he, when he wanted to be a wall, he could be a wall, couldn't he? Well, you know, speaking of that game seven that I was just talking about, um, Dallas-Edmonton, uh, where Todd scored, uh, just go watch that. Watch some of the saves Cujo made in that game. It was ridiculous. But that just goes to show you how important that position is. It's the most important position in the game, period. No question. It's not even up for debate, in my opinion. It's just it's incredible what a goaltender that can play those types of games, the confidence that he can give your team. When you know that a guy back there isn't going to let a BB by him, it just empowers you to play harder. Um, not take more risks, but you just, you're, you're looser to play the type of game you want to play. And good teams have that. They have that kind of that flow to their game because there's a confidence they trust in everybody. And uh, Cujo, you know, when he came up, I always remember when he first when he first came in. We found out we were getting Cujo. We were really excited. 
he came on board, you know, and I don't, he couldn't have stopped a beach ball that first practice. I swear everything was going by him. And, uh, you know, he had gear on, new pads, this kind of stuff. And he's just out there kind of feeling the, you know, feeling the puck. And then, you know, he gets in the game and it's just like a switch would go on. And I tell you, it was amazing to watch. You know, it was amazing to watch when any goaltender that I ever played with would put on one of those performances. You just kind of looked over and said, it's going to be one of those nights. It's going to be really difficult to beat that guy. And he had a lot of those nights. Yeah, awesome stuff. Uh, Louis, a guy named Herm Hordell used to work for the Saskatoon Blades. He's an old goalie. He says, Bob, before your time, there was a guy that could fly, uh, flat out fly. Uh, Gene Carr, who was with the Flin Flon Bombers and... I love that the, name. Gene Carl. Flint Bombers. Yeah. Oh, the Flint Well, they were, as you know, they were a powerhouse in the late 60s with Bobby Clark mm-hmm. and Reggie Leach. Yeah. Uh, Gene Carr, people can look it up. The song New Kid in Town by the Eagles. Gene Carr befriended, I believe, Don Henley. And uh, that was, uh, Gene passed away, I think, a couple of years ago. But that song was uh, partially written by his arrival into uh, the L.A. Kings organization. And he could skate, no question. Louis, great stuff. Hey, next week, as yep. we close in, let's, uh, let's do a one through seven look at uh, the All-Canadian Division next Thursday, okay? Okay, sounds good. Take care, Louis. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, that is Louis DeBrusque. It's 12.54 in Edmonton. Want to mention to you uh, that guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Uh, Roos Chris will be closed starting Sunday, uh, but uh, Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris uh, want to tell you to stay safe and stay positive, and they'll be back up and at them when we're back up and at them. When we return on Oilers Now, we'll get an Oilers Now prospect report with James H. Brown. You're listening to Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stopper on 630 Chat. Got this text on the Ashley Fine Floors text line from the Saskatoon Stud. Is that the handle? I don't know about that. Uh, this one comes in saying, uh, Kevin Quinn has once again converted the unwashed masses. Uh, Louis DeBrusque and Bob Stauffer talking F1 on Oilers now. Hey, it's, uh, it's that time. All right. You can text us at any time at 780-496-0063. Bob, uh, Mad Jim texts the show to say, I always uh, loved watching Doug Smale fly. Fastest jet ever. Faster than the finished flash? Uh, Doug Smale could skate, no question. I'm trying to think of who else. Phil Housley was with the Jets. He could skate pretty good from the back end. As promised, let's get an Oilers prospect update. It is brought to you daily here in Oilers now by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. Trent Brown, a um, two-time All-Star in the CFL, won a great cup. Uh, with the EE football team in 1993, uh, Jim Brown involved for a number of years with the Ebbets Oil Kings, and you can visit them at jameshbrown.com. Back in the 630 Chad Studios at 1257, here is Brendan Escott. Tyler Benson with an assist on Tuesday night of this week in 18 minutes of ice time in the second Swiss League. Give him 10 points now in his last 10 games. Ryan McLeod is playing in a league above that. Uh, four points in his last three games in the top Swiss League for a total of 9 and 12. Kate Tan Haas' team shut out on Tuesday, so he stays put at seven points in 13 contests there. Philip Kemp now three games to his credit over in uh, Sweden's Allsvenskan. He's got one assist. And the guy making the most headlines over the last week anyway, Carter Savoy. Uh, he and the Denver Pioneers puck drop between them and Miami of Ohio 
2.35 our time today, Bob. Can you name the former uh, very popular member of the Edmonton Oilers that came out of Miami of Ohio? Had uh, close to 20 goals and back to maybe, maybe about 35 goals back-to-back seasons. I think he had 18 and 17. A little bit before your time here, Brendan. You know, he was with the team around 2013, 2014. Went over to Germany for a number of years. Going oh, once. man. I'm thinking of like the Teddy Purcells of the world. Well, it was, it was in that era, and it was Ryan Jones. So there you go. Ryan was a good guy, no question about it. That was a tough one just off the top of my head on Miami of Ohio. All right. Randy Kilburn's up next with a global news weather traffic update. And then when we come back, for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication and solar, Brian Burke. You're listening to Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.